Well, we're up and running, and it is uh, July 26th uh, of 2023, and we are in Deuteronomy, so if you're not already there, turn to Deuteronomy, and we are at 25, chapter 25. Now, we're, when you get to the end of Deuteronomy, so I'm, I'm excited about getting to the end of Deuteronomy, but we can't jump ahead, so we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing, but just know that when we get to the end, it's going to be really, really good. So you can be uh, looking forward to that. Um, had a good night at the jail last night for Bible study. Cameron was there. I thought he would be teaching because I taught last week, and... Uh, I asked him what he was going to teach on. He said, I thought you were teaching tonight. And, of course, he's, it's, not like, it's not like he wasn't prepared because he's always got something. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He's got all these notes that are folded up in the back of his Bible from sermons that he's done. So he can just pull out of any of that and do a good lesson. And, but anyway, I said, well, if you want me to, if you want me to teach tonight, I said, I said I'm, I'm good with that. I said, I got something good. And um, so I, I taught again last night, and I did basically what I did this past Sunday. And, um, you know, I got to be, I got to be careful, um, you know, to explain things. You, you've got to explain things. You can't assume people understand what you're talking about all the time. So, I just I don't want a bunch of people bringing in a bunch of little baby sheep on Sunday mornings. You know, we might actually get somebody. Oh, is he saying we got to bring a little baby lamb in here? So we 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 got to be willing to be open for questions. Uh, if you if you misunderstand something or you're not quite sure, uh, please uh, ask. But yeah, we had a good, a good Bible study last night. Went very well. Um, so just to, just to get you up to date on that and anything that you might have questions on, just remember that ask. Please ask. Um, if you need to call me, you know, a lot of people listen to the podcast uh, that... You know, feel free to get in touch with me if you have any questions. If you think I'm talking about something or I miss, messed up something, you know, I messed up a few weeks ago talking about uh, the book of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah and his first draft of Jeremiah being destroyed. I mean, I miss, I said, I kind of cleared it up after I said Jeremiah and I was really trying to say the king's name, but then I, I cleared it up pretty quick, so I didn't bother to, to correct that later. Okay, um, but, I'm, but don't be afraid to talk to me about things I may have misquoted, things that I just misspoke on. You can bring it up. I would much rather get it cleared up right away. Uh, I listen to other people, and I see where they misspeak. And then they catch themselves later sometimes, but sometimes they don't. Uh, I was listening to a pastor named Jack Hibbs. He's in California, and uh, he, he does a podcast, and it's really good. 
I like it a lot. I just started listening to him. And he does a whole lot of teaching on American history and founding fathers. So I'm like, oh, cool, another pastor who happens to be in California. And he's become very popular as far as his preaching style. It doesn't fit California very well, so he kind of stood out. And Wall Builders uh, have, have, has had him on their show quite a few times because of it. But his church got in big trouble back during COVID. But uh, he misspeaks. And I know, what he, since I know the Bible really well, I know, where he, I know why he says the things he says sometimes. And he just gets mixed up on uh, maybe a name of somebody. And I catch it, but a lot of people won't. So it's good to be in the Word and to know the Word really well yourself. Okay, now last week we got through 25.3. We talked about uh, chapter 25, 1, 2, and 3. So today we're going to start with verse 4. And this verse is, is just a little verse, and it's just this one verse. And it's like, why did this get stuck right here? So the first three verses are talking about uh, punishment matching the offense and talking about the 40 stripes and no more. And then after we talk about that, then you get to verse 4 and it says, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. Okay. And then it goes right on into a totally different topic about, you know, a, woman, uh, uh, the, the, a woman's husband dying before he has a son and that whole deal, that weird thing that the Israelites did with a, a brother of the husband who died before bringing a son into the world. A brother is supposed to take her to be his wife so he can have a firstborn son for his brother who died. It's, that weird, it's a weird thing, and when we read about it, um, it sounds weird to us, but that was something that was very important for the nation of Israel. The men of Israel and that their name be carried on and the inheritance of their fathers being carried on. So that's what, in verse 5, that's what, that's what we're talking about. And there's several verses here that talk about that. But this one verse, thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn, is just stuck in here. And we're thinking, why? So it's, it's actually been you know, referred to before. So it's, again, it's, it's, it's here. And what does that mean? Why is it here and what does it mean? So we can go to, there's a couple places in the New Testament that refer to this. So we'll go to the New Testament and we'll read what, where it's talked about. Go to 1 Timothy, or, or you can write this down and look at it later. But I am turning to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And it says, and this is verses 17 and 18. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, 
Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Wow. And the laborer is worthy of his reward. So think about that. It says, I'm going to read it again. This is, this is 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, if you remember what Timothy is about, Paul is instructing Timothy, and we get all kinds of things in 1 and 2 Timothy about what we would refer to as a pastor today, someone who leads a church and, and the order of things. So this is saying, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. And the laborer is worthy of his reward. Now, now we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's, here's another place where that verse is. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we need to start at 7. The, the main verses is 9 and 10, but we need to start at 7 and read through to 18. Now, the heading in, in my Bible, it says, they who preach the gospel are to live of the gospel. That's the little heading in my Schofield Bible. Verse 7 says, Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? It's asking a question. Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? So would you expect someone who had a vineyard to never eat any of the grapes himself? Would you expect somebody who, who goes to war to pay for it himself? Or is he going to be given money to go risk his life to fight? Um, or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? So you have a dairy farm, you expect the dairy farmer to never drink any of the milk? He's the one that's producing it all. Say I these things as a man, he's asking a question, or saith not the law the same also? So is this, you know, I can say this as a man, man because it makes sense. It just makes sense. But then he, say, he says that the law, the word of God, actually says the same thing. Number, uh, verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doeth God take care for oxen? So, so God is looking out for even the animals, and if he looks out for the animals, you know, you know, a sparrow can't fall without God noticing it. So if a sparrow can't fall without God noticing it, what about a person? A person's got way more well, uh, worth than an animal. Now, we're living in a country right now that animals are more protected than humans are. If you do something mean to an animal, you, you'll go to jail. But if you uh, hurt or kill a human being, it doesn't seem like it's all that big of a deal. Verse 10 says, Or saith he it altogether for our sakes, for our sakes no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. 
if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? Now, Paul is, is talking about this. He's basically saying, if you ha have a, a pastor or a leader of the church, and he's, he's for your spiritual well-being, he's studying the scriptures, he's studying doctrine, and he's teaching, and, you know, it used to be back in the day, many, many years ago, that the preacher of a town re was regarded as like the highest occupation. It's not like that anymore at all. It's like, oh, you're the preacher? Yeah, okay. But back in the day, the preacher was regarded as one of the highest occupations. And Paul is saying here that um, they should be taken care of by uh, the community. The community should take care of their spiritual leader. If others be partakers of this power over you, are, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul, even though he is saying you're not supposed to muzzle the ox who's treading out the corn, he's saying that he's put a muzzle on himself, basically. Paul is not taking anything from anybody. Now, he has been taken care of and will be taken care of when he's in jail. Uh, the Philippians were, were uh, thanked because they remembered him when he was in jail and they provided for his needs. But Paul, if you remember, he had, a, he had an occupation that he's, he did. He, he was a tent maker, and he did that to support himself because he never wanted anybody. See, Paul was a very special person, and he was doing something very special at that time. And he didn't want to have anybody ever to be able to say, you're just doing this for the money. He never wanted that to happen. He wanted to make absolutely sure that, no, that he did not hinder the gospel of Christ at this time because this was a brand new thing that he was establishing. God had, had picked him out and came down in power and brightness and blinded him for a purpose, and he was to go out and to minister and to build the church. So he's saying that he himself is not going to do this, but don't take that as you shouldn't do that for anybody. Uh, 13, do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be so done unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory in void." For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 
For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I abuse not my power in the gospel. So there's the two places that I know of that uh, is talked about in the New Testament, this, this, this verse that it just seems to be stuck in here in uh, Deuteronomy. So again, today, in today's time, you know, churches are closing. Churches are very um, weak as far as numbers, especially country churches. People are, I don't know if we're, we're actually in that time of um, the great falling away. <clears throat> you know, are, are we going to have another revival and things are to come back? Or have we got to that point where we're in that great falling away and we're not going to see it. And then the Lord's going to come back at some point. Um, we don't know. That's why we got to keep doing what we're supposed to do because we don't know when the end is. We don't know when Jesus is going to show up in the air and meet us there. We, don't, we just don't know that date. And I can probably say, you know, back when, uh, you know, we had a great awakening in the past. We've had a couple, and... I would think that back then, the things that were going on, they thought, yep, this is surely the end. And then the one before that, oh yeah, we're, we're in some bad times. The Bible talks about this. There's a great falling away. And then all of a sudden, you have this great revival, this great awakening, and then all of a sudden, the churches are filled again. Uh, that, that, that pastor that I was talking about, Jack Hibbs, he was, back when 9-11 uh, when happened, he had a friend that lived in England. I'm pretty sure it was England. Yeah, because I think it was 2005. See, 9-11 happened in 2001 here in America. And he said that his friend that lived in England, he said the whole world noticed what was going on. The whole world was watching. And if you remember, after that happened, there were all these representatives from all the different states that were on the the stairs at one of the one of the I don't know if it was the Capitol building or the White House I can't remember exactly where it was at and they all sang I can't remember what they sang God bless America or something they they, they sang kind of a, a religious song and churches filled up all across America after that happened people went to church and people were called upon to pray and it was on TV, it was, it was all over the place. All over the world saw America go through something terrible. We were attacked by uh, extremist Muslims. We, we were attacked by a, a, a very um, <clears throat> extreme religion, and then we all went to prayer. America prayed when that bad thing happened. Well, this guy in England... I'm pretty sure it was in July of 2005, there were some bombings in England, in Britain. And what happened over there was everybody went to the pubs. Everybody went to get drunk. 
And he, that guy was saying, yeah, in America, you, it, when that terrible thing happened to y'all, everybody went to prayer. But in England, everybody went to the pubs. Now, <clears throat> we are fast approaching what has happened in Europe. There's all kinds of places in Europe. Now, there's some places in Europe that are still very strong. But when you look at France and Spain and England, those places have pushed God out way before we did. And you can see what has happened there, how they respond. Their, their wonderful church buildings have been abandoned many years ago. Well, we're seeing that here in America. We're seeing that. We, so my point is, here in America, we have a bunch of churches where there's not enough people to support ministers. But <clears throat> there was even times in early America before we had uh, become independent from England where there was a very wealthy person who would, because there wasn't enough money to have a regular preacher, and the preacher would get on a horse and ride around to different places. Well, there was this one place, I'm pretty sure it was... Uh, <clears throat> might have been Maryland. Anyway, there was this one founding father who, he was very rich, and he, out of his own money, <clears throat> he made sure that there was a pastor that was paid for the year that he would always be there. And it was just one person financed it because there wasn't in, enough people in the area to support that situation. So there's some pretty neat stories from our past of people who wanted to make sure that things like this that we just read about in the Bible uh, <clears throat> were taken care of. <clears throat> All right, now let's move on. All of that from one verse. All of that from that one verse that's just kind of like, would have been real easy just to go right by it. Okay, uh, start, uh, this, now we're at verse 5. If brethren dwell together and one of them die, and here's that weird uh, law, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without or outside of you know, their community unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother, which is dead. So, so the brother, now, how all this worked, this might be talking about an eldest brother who's the one who's going to have the most of the inheritance, and for whatever reason, he gets married, and before he can have a firstborn child that's going to carry on the inheritance of the family, you know, around here, you, you take a big farm and it's handed down to the next generation. And what has happened over time is that farm gets split up. So that real big farm, maybe four brothers, it ends up being four smaller farms. And then later on, it gets broken down even more. And then you get a whole bunch of them who don't want to continue on the family business and it's too hard, it's, it's too tough, and, and they start selling off. And next thing you know, you don't have anything left. It all eventually one day, and I've, I've watched it happen in my lifetime. 
um, you know, I've hunted on some of those lands back in the day, and it was great, but it was sad to see the whatever farm, that one was, the, I'm pretty sure was the Whitlock farm, and that is exactly what happened over time, and it got to the point where none of the kids wanted anything to do with it. It was easier to go work somewhere else, and that farm is now owned by a bunch of other people. A bunch of other people. All right, so, so that's probably what this is talking about. Okay, now, if you go back in, into Genesis and look at that one chapter that seems to be very out of place, I'm pretty sure it's 38, where Judah uh, has these rotten boys, and you know the one died, and then the other brother took her, uh, was that Tamar? Okay, so, she, so he, and that boy was rotten too, and he purposely, he did not want to do what he was supposed to do. So he was purposely trying to keep conception from happening, and God saw what he did and killed him. Well, by that point, the, so it was always a younger brother that hadn't quite got to age yet. So he tells Tamar, look, this, this other brother here, He's too young right now, but just wait for him, and when he's old enough, then he'll do the part. Well, he had no intention whatsoever. He's like, man, this woman is bad luck, and uh, I've done lost two sons. So he's blaming it on her when it's, it's him and his upbringing of his sons. So the other son, he has no intention. So that's if you go back and read that story, that'll give you a little bit of a picture of what's going on here. So I think it's probably... A, a brother who hasn't been married yet, and, and he, ha he needs to do this, this thing. Now, what you do when you don't have any younger brothers, or they're all married off and all that, I mean, the chances of that happening are slim. Um, so you can really get into some thinking on this, but I think we need to just move on from, you know, keep going, and uh, get to the really good part about taking off the shoe. That, we got to get to that, because that's important. It's funny, actually. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him, and if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the, that man, that will not build up his brother's house. Serves him right. Take that shoe off and spit in his face in front of the elders. It's a good way to handle that. I couldn't have come up with a better way to handle that myself. Um, and his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. Oh, that's terrible. We don't ever want to be... Have that, have that hanging over our heads. So, 
If you go to Ruth, the book of Ruth, and I don't think Ruth ever... So when you get to the end of Ruth, she doesn't go and take the shoe off the guy who wouldn't... I mean, she didn't want the, the other guy anyway. She wanted Boaz, and Boaz wanted Ruth. So I think he's the one that actually took the shoe off, or maybe the guy took the shoe off himself. I can't remember. But if you go and read the story, and in Ruth, you can, it's a wonderful thing to read, and it won't take long at all to read. So you see an example of it right there, of the shoe being taken off in front of the elders. And, and, and Boaz was glad. He was thrilled. But see, he couldn't bypass that next in line, the, the next kinsman redeemer, even though he wanted to be. But Jesus is, see, Boaz is a type and picture of Jesus. He wants us, but there's somebody in the way, and that's the old man who, who has to get out of the picture before Jesus can come and marry his bride. I think that's what that's a picture of if you, if you read that story of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, and Ruth. Ruth being a, being a Moabite not even supposed to be marrying into... Um, so she represents Gentile, unbelievers like us, that Jesus will marry. So the, the whole book of Ruth is about us being unqualified, Gentile, separated from Jesus, and not even supposed to be able to, to get anywhere near him, but we come anyway because he, uh, he wants to marry Ruth, who's the Gentile. Jesus looks at us, and he wants to marry us. <clears throat> All right. So, loose the shoe. 11, when men strive together, one with another, and the wife... Now, here's, here's one that I would like to just skip right over, but we won't have to read it, because I want to read every word in Deuteronomy. When men strive together one with another, and the wife of the one draws near for two, or the reason for, the because for two, deliver her husband out of the hand of him that smiteth him, and putteth her hand, putteth forth her hand, and taketh him by the secrets. Wow. That'll work. That would work. Then thou shalt cut off her hand. Thine eyes shall not pity her. All right, that's a wonderful verse. Is that your favorite verse? No, nah, it's not my favorite verse, but it's in here. Um, so if that's, evidently, this is supposed to be a fair fight, and she is going to do something to make sure her husband wins this fair fight, and if she was to do something like that, then it shows that she doesn't have much character and she's doing something that would definitely be cheating. You know, you're, you're in a boxing match. You know, you're, you're, you see the boxing, there's no low blows. That, that'll get you, you get warned and you, you'll get disqualified. No low blows. Well, this is a low blow. Now, there have been... Uh, now, you got to be... You, 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 would, you have to be careful here. <clears throat> If um, today, if you take this as you're never supposed to go, resort to that measure in a fight, I mean, I would tell my daughters, anything's available to you. If you can take them out, take them out. So don't worry about this verse, which I, mean, I don't think they would even know that this verse is here unless they listen to this. But 
I remember hearing a story of a soldier over in Vietnam. Long time ago, I read about it. I was reading a book, and this guy was talking about being a soldier in Vietnam, and he uh, was talking about the North Vietnamese and how they dressed in black, and they usually wore shorts, these black shorts and a black shirt, and they would sneak in at night and attack you. If you was in a foxhole, somebody had to be awake at all times because they would sneak in and they would cut your throat while you were sleeping in a foxhole. Just reading about all of that, it just, the thoughts, I remember uh, Pastor Jay being in Vietnam and, and he went through some bad stuff um, and talking about how it turned his life around because he thought he would never get out of there. So some really bad stuff happened, but I just remember this guy talking about how he was attacked one night by a North Vietnamese soldier, and he said the guy was a lot smaller than him, but he was amazed at how strong he was. And he was, the, the North Vietnamese soldier was getting the best of him, so he, because of what the guy was wearing, he was able to use the, you know, the shorts, that didn't protect this North Vietnamese guy very much, and he did exactly this. Uh, he taketh him by the secrets, and he, and he won the fight really quick. It was over. So there's times where you have to resort to some really bad things if your life is on the line. But this is talking about what was supposed to be a fair fight. All right, can we move on now? Let's move on. Twelve. Then thou shalt, uh, I already read that, thou shalt cut off her hand, thine eye shall not pity her. Thirteen, thou shalt not have in thy bag divers weights, a great and a small. Hmm. Thou shalt not have in thine house divers, now divers means different. That's just a King James word for different. You shouldn't have different measures in thine house or in thy bag, a great and a small. It's like a great and a small. Why are they saying that? But thou shalt have a perfect and just weight, a perfect and just, just measure shalt thou have, that thy days may be lengthened in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. For all that... For, for all that do such things and all that do unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. So what's up with the a great and a small weight? Now, this would be, I wrote down weights and measures, uh, verses 13, and it actually... You know, once, when you get past what I just finished reading and you get to 17, it says, remember what Amalek did unto thee. Well, it seems like that's a totally different topic, but it actually goes with this. Uh, it actually, this right here, actually goes with what we talked about last week, that the punishment needs to match the crime. Okay? Very important. So don't let the, the person who is higher up, somebody you like, somebody that could benefit you. Don't do a lesser punishment for that person because you like them and you can benefit from them, but treat everybody equal and you must match the punishment or the prison term 
that it needs to match the crime. Well, why does God talk so much about having a just weight and to and how it's an abomination if you don't? So weights and measures, you would think this would just be, you know, not that big of a deal. So let's go to uh, Leviticus 19. In Leviticus 19, uh, starting with 35, I'm just going to read a couple verses. It says, remember, Leviticus is a lot of laws, right? Laws and ordinances. Ye shall, ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment in meat yard. That's a cool word, meat yard. In weight or in measure. Just balances, just weights. A just ephah and a just hen shall ye have. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so you have a guy who's selling, let's say selling grain, and you walk up to the table to buy the grain. So you put the grain that he's buying, he scoops it up and he comes over, you know how when you go to the store and it's, it's uh, so much per pound? Okay, it's all right. So he brings the grain up and you pour it into this uh, container. It's a, it's, imagine a scale. And you have this weight that you put on there and then you pour in the grain. Okay, so if you have a smaller weight than what you're supposed to, so in this bag... He's got a small weight, right? So he puts the small weight in there. So when you pull the grain in, it, it, it's going to come balance out quicker. So he didn't get as much grain in the thing that he's supposed to. Okay. Well, then you take the grain out and say, it's this much. So here, now you give me the money. So they didn't have money that you could just, you had to weigh it. So the money had to be weighed. So while he was taking the grain out and, and searching for his money, he took the little weight out and put the bigger weight on. And then he starts putting his money in. It would takes more money to get that weight to go up. And that's what was happening. So he got less product, and he got more money than he was supposed to for the product. Kind of like making cereal boxes smaller, right? Or, you know, the, they're skinnier. They're still tall and wide, but they got real skinny. <clears throat> and they still want the same amount of money, if not more. Right? So that's what was happening. It, it might have been in an episode of The Chosen where they were doing that and the guy was watching for it. And when the guy went to switch the weight, he grabs him and exposes what he was doing. And, and I, I don't know if that, that's what it was, but I, I just remember seeing that um, a year or two ago. So that's what it's talking about with a, with a great weight and a small weight. That's what was happening. And when you do that, you see, the Bible has a whole lot. There's at least four places in Proverbs that talk about a just weight. Um, one of them is Proverbs 16 that matches this pretty good. Um, you can write these down if you want. Uh, Proverbs 16.11 says, A just weight and balance are the Lord's, all the weights of the bag are his work. And then Proverbs 11.1 1 says, 
A false balance is abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 20 verse 10 says, Divers weights and divers measures, both of them are alike abomination to the Lord. And then in verse 23 of Proverbs 20, it says, Divers weights are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. Um, in uh, Amos, I don't know if I marked Amos. Yeah, I did. Amos 8.5 is just another reference. So this is a serious issue. In Amos 8.5, it says, uh, well, in 4, it says, uh, Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, When will the new moon be gone, that we may sell corn? And the Sabbath, that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great. See, there it is, right there in the Bible. What I just explained just a few minutes ago. And falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of the wheat. Uh, so that's in Amos so what, that, that word, uh, meat, what was it? What was the word? Meat something, meat. I just read it. Now I, I closed my book up. Now I can't remember what it was. But anyway, it was, it, it was, a, it was a cool word. Was it Leviticus 19? A meat yard. Okay, now, there, so just imagine a yardstick. That's what it is. And it's not... In the, in the Bible, in the King James Bible, you have three different words that all say the same thing. They're pronounced the same. It's meat. Three different words. Now, this one here, it's M-E-T-E. -E. But then you have M-E-E-T... And that doesn't mean, I'll, I will meet you over there. No, that meet is, is uh, I, when I read it, I usually say perfectly suited. It, you probably noticed me say that. Uh, it, the help meet, uh, Adam needed a help meet. Eve was perfectly suited for him. That's that kind of meat. But there's also M-E-A-T, which... Most people, in our society, we would say that's, that's the flesh of an animal, meat. But in the King James Bible, that's any food, basically. It can, it can say, when you sit down to meat, it's bread, vegetables. If you, have, if, you, if you are a good hunter, you can have some real meat, what we call meat, right? So it's anything to eat. It's a noun. That word is a noun, and it's anything that you're going to eat, that kind of meat. But then you have M-E-E-T, now that is an adjective, it's describing something. It, it, it can mean qualified, it can mean fitting, or becoming, or proper. And like I say, perfectly suited for. That person is meat for you, y'all are suited for each other. Okay? And, and then the word, the word that we just read out of Leviticus, Another meet, which is M-E-T-E, that is a verb. So you got a noun, an adjective, now we got a verb, and that means 
to measure. It's an action word. All right, how long is that pew right there? Well, hey, would you meet that? That means, would you measure it? So you get the tape measure out and you would measure it. So meet yard would be like a yardstick. We know, we know a yardstick is three uh, feet, 36 inches. So that's what, it, that's what that is. <clears throat> I thought that was interesting that there's three different words in the King James Bible that are pronounced exactly the same, but they're very different. You know, our English language is like that as well. We have to, we have to, if you have a spelling bee, the, the people that are trying to compete in the spelling bee, they want to be the winner. When someone gives them a word to spell, they ask, use it in a sentence, and then, they, then the person who gave the word, they use it in a sentence, because you need to know what, what word that is, for sure. Because if they say bear, well, you got B-A-R-E, and you got B-E-A-R, and there's probably another bear. There's different, there's, so there's different spellings, so you need to know the context of it. But just think of the word B-E-A-R. That could be the black bear running across the yard, or it could be you come to the fork in the road, and you want to bear right or bear left. They're all spelled the same. There, there's like 12 different ways that you can use that one word. Yeah, bearing a, bearing a burden. So, so we have to understand that the Bible, when, it's, when, it's set, when you hear a word, you need to find out how it's spelt so you can know what it means. And also, if you hear the word sanctified or justified, saved, you can be saved from just dying, or you can be saved, which means eternal life. You know, there's different, different times in the Bible where it could say saved, and it doesn't mean the same thing every time. Justify is a, is a one that you really have to pay attention to. You know, how do you justify that? Um, well, because of this. Oh, okay, well, that's good. All right, so th th this, is, this is a very serious issue as far as you must be honest and fair, and God sees everything you do. So you go out there and you trick people. It happens all the time. Uh, there's Nigerian princes that want to give you a whole bunch of money. Isn't they are so nice? And you, all you got to do is just send enough money for them to be able to ship you all the big money. Some, I think that's how it goes. <clears throat> there, uh, I can't remember what show I was. Oh, it was, uh, it was one, of, one of the podcasts I listened to, and they, they were doing the poor mama jokes. And they said, your, your mama's so poor that Nigerian princes wire her money. And they, they thought that was real funny. But... People are out there wanting to scam you all the time. And why? They have no fear of God whatsoever. Right? There's all kinds of people out there that, are, that will get, try to get you into some get-rich-quick scheme. Why? Because they don't fear God. You know, our founding fathers said that this Bible must be the number one textbook in our schools. 
I shared that last night at the jail. I told the guys last night, I said, I pre- it was Benjamin Rush who said the Bible must always be the number one textbook in our public schools across America. And he said way back then, if we as a country, and he's probably like, I don't see how this would ever happen, but if the Bible ever gets taken out of schools, then this country will spend all of its time and resources rehabilitating and imprisoning people. The jails will fill up and you'll build bigger ones and better ones and you will fill them all up if you ever take the Word of God out of public schools. Wow. Benjamin Rush was a prophet and didn't even know it. He was a prophet and didn't even know it. So now we're living it. That's why it is so critical that you get people when they're young, little tiny kids need to be brought up in the Word of God. Kids need to see the stories of God's judgment coming down on people who didn't obey Him. Nations who did not, uh, didn't want to be friends with Israel and God demolished them. We need to have a very healthy fear and respect of God. And for the most part, we don't. So don't be shocked when people use unjust weights and measures. Don't be shocked. We must be done because my notes ended. We're getting close. We've get, we got a couple more verses to read and we will be done. Sounds like it's changing to a different subject, but it says, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when ye were come forth out of Egypt. How he met thee by the way and smote thee hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. So he was sneaky, Amalek. Now, who was Amalek? Anybody know? He was a grandson of Esau. He was the grandson of Esau. You have to go back to Genesis to figure that out. Now, I've gone back and tried to see. I know Amalek came to war with them. Moses told Joshua to get an army together to go down and fight. It was that famous battle where Moses had to have his arms held up. You know, the, the rod, he, he picked the rod up, but he was too weak, to, and every time the, it came down, what's that? Yeah, and that was, who was that? Her? Aaron and her was with him, and they was up on the hill watching the battle. Joshua was down there with all the warriors, and when, when Moses' arms fell... They started getting beat, but when Moses' arms were, were raised up, they would win. Okay, they were winning. They, they, I think they brought a rock over, and Moses was able to sit down on the rock, and then they lifted his arms up, and, and those two guys, see, that's, that's, that's a picture of a spiritual leader being lifted up and held up, right? So that the people will have victory. That's pretty cool. So you don't see any of that right here, but if you go back and look at the battles, I, but I go back and I can't see where this is how they attacked them from, the, from coming up behind. What this is telling me right here is that uh, 
Moses is telling the people, look, you need to remember Amalek. And remember what he did? He, would you have any respect for a nation who, without any warning, you're not at war with them at all, and they pick an early Sunday morning to fly a bunch of airplanes to your base in Hawaii and bomb you to smithereens. No warning whatsoever. Would you have any respect for that type of country that would do something that evil? You know, you, what you should do is you say, look, when we, we go back to our founding fathers who, who would not do anything other than what the Bible says, and you are to make a declaration, hey, you're ten times bigger than we are, and you're probably going to kill all of us, but we want our independence, and here's why. Come and fight us. We're ready. And win. That was a miracle of God right there. So you're supposed to declare war, and then you fight. Fair fight. But this guy, because he didn't fear God, he snuck up behind and started killing off the weakest of them that couldn't defend themselves. <clears throat> so the strong going after the weak. It's similar to this balance thing, this fair weight. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, thou shalt not forget it. Though the nation of Israel are not to forget what Amalek did, but your goal is to eliminate them from off the face of the earth that no one else will remember who they were. Don't forget what I want other people to not remember. Okay? I'm thinking 400 years later, King Saul had an opportunity to fulfill this. That would be in 1 Samuel, if I remember correctly, chapter 15. Uh, Saul was told by Samuel the word of God, which was, go and fight Amalek, the, the, the Amalekites. Amalek is long gone, but his people are still here. And King Saul went and beat them really good, but he didn't obey completely. Didn't he bring the king back? He brought animals back? So they, so, but he evidently didn't kill all the people either because they were still fighting them later. King David was still fighting them. And it wasn't until the time of Hezekiah before they were finally wiped out completely. So that represents something. But we don't have time to get into that. But we're done with Deuteronomy 25. And... <clears throat> It's a lot of, it seems like a lot of different things that we went over, which has been the theme of every chapter we've been going over for the last several weeks. And I'm always surprised at how much information comes out of one chapter, you know, how much, how much you can see the different places of the Bible that backs it up, you know, that, that are in harmony with each other. You, you see something in Deuteronomy, you can go back to where it actually happened. And Moses is usually just talking about something that has happened in the past. 
you can go back and see it. And then in the future, from where Moses is telling the people, after you get into the promised land and you're settled there, then you're going to have people in the future, your descendants are going to carry this out, finish it off right, which is what happened in this case with uh, the Amalekites. <clears throat> we can go to Proverbs and see all these verses on, on how serious it is to be honest in your business dealings, you know, just dealing with your, it's just part of treating your neighbor as you want to be treated. The whole Bible, it just, it doesn't matter where it is, it's in harmony with each other. You know, it all, it all works out. You can't, no human being can write a book like this. You should be in awe of God's Word. We should be in awe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is amazing. And Father, you know, we're, we're like little children, and we, we think we figure something out. And I know you're up there just with a smile on your face thinking, if only they knew. And Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will, will help us, that we, would, that we would see those things that we are not seeing yet. And Father, that because of your word, we are able to be honest, to do the things that are right, to treat others as we want to be treated. And Father, that we would honor you in all things. Father, this world is pushing you away, and we see the effects of it. And Father, it doesn't look good. But Father, we want to keep doing what is right, no matter what others do. But Father, we do have a heart for those who are running from you. And Father, we want to know your word, we want to know your love, so that we can go out and minister to those who need to know you. And Father, we thank you for those opportunities. We thank you for the opportunity to, to go into our local regional jail. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to team up with other organizations like the Pregnancy Resource Center that are touching people's hearts. Father, those uh, other churches that we know and communicate with, we, just, we, we thank you for those opportunities, just those people who are in our community that we are able to talk to. And Father, you're, you have given us a place to come and to be a church, and we are thankful for that. And Father, we want to honor you in everything that we do. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.